will turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. So let's all pray together. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for a time to come together where you speak to us. And we listen as an act of worship. So we pray that you would help us to give full attention, that you would help us to, to think deeply through these things, that you would speak to our very souls, that, that as a means of grace this would transform us as we even see as we take the Lord's Supper later that um, that is an image of what the gospel does. It, we feed on you. And this is one of the things that's happening now. So we would pray that those who know you, that we would become more like you. We'd be more like you when we leave here today because you've spoken to us. And for those who do not know you, we pray that they would even come to know you through this. But we know your word will accomplish what you plan for it to accomplish. It will harden, harden and it will soften. So we pray that hearts would be changed to be more like you. And we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. The word of the Lord. So what we saw and talked about some last week was the fact that the Bible is not just a book of do this, don't do that, uh, try harder, be better, and God will love you more, and God will bless you more and these sorts of things because how much more could he love you than he's already loved you through Jesus Christ how much more could he give you than he's already given you in Jesus Christ and if he's already given you the greatest blessing of all then you and you didn't do anything to earn it then we need to stop thinking that we can do things to earn and deserve even further blessing or even greater love from the father but there is this is the tricky part there is great blessing in obedience so that's what we have to remember. There is great blessing in obedience. And so we have to learn to trust the Lord with our obedience. There is also discipline from the Lord, as we even read in this passage. And we've seen in other passages in the Bible, but just even here in Hebrews, that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So that one of our sayings that we have in our cliche Bible, which is soft and we throw at people, is God loves you just the way you are, but... He loves you too much to leave you that way. And so we have to learn to love people in a similar way um, while the love of God is transformative. And so our hope is that we love the Lord our God enough that we would be transformed by that and that we're able to love our neighbor um, enough that that love even becomes transformative, um, not just that they would all change, but that we would change as well and that there would be a... a um, a change in the world that makes a difference in this world so that we do see how the church is then salt as well as light. Um, and again, since this is coincidentally slash providentially 
St. Patrick's, not St. Patrick's, St. one of those saints. I'm not Catholic. I don't keep up with this stuff too good. St. Valentine's Day, and right? And um, today's sermon is about marriage, but it just happens to be because we're going through the book of Hebrews. But it always reminds me whenever I think of this, um, I was always one to stay up too late, but it used to be back in the olden days when the dinosaurs used to provide our electricity. I guess they kind of still do. Um, there was the TV show. The TV used to go off at night. I don't know whether you knew that or not. It would uh, there'd be a sign off, and sometimes it was John Wayne, and he would speak the words of, um, you know, Star Spangled Banner or Our Country Tis a V or V or something like that. But what I remember most is one channel I was watching. The very last thing that would come on was a very short little vignette called With This Ring. And it would always come on. And it said, um, how's it start? I wrote it down so I'd make sure I remembered the first line. And there it is. As a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, so our society is only as strong as its individual families. With this ring comes your home to shed light on matters which are important to you, to your family, and to society. Here to greet you is Father Raymond Schlinkert. And then he would, they would cut to him, and, he, and I would always say, do, because he would always say, how do you do? And I thought that was the funniest thing. But it was always on there. So always, as a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, so our society is only as strong as its individual families. And that's true. That is true. So as the family begins to diminish, so will society. God knows this. The demonic forces know this. The world knows this. Deep down, we all know this. And there's a book called um, D. James Kennedy and uh, Dr. Newcomb, I think it's his last name, uh, N-E-W-C-O-M-B, wrote a book called What's Wrong with Same-Sex Same Marriage. And they point out this, that um, the oldest institution in the world is not the church. The oldest institution in the world is not the state. The oldest institution in the world is marriage. It was instituted by God even before there was sin in the world, right there in the Garden of Eden. And God said it is not good that man should be alone. And you've got to be careful what you think that means because he wasn't alone. He was with all the other animals and all the other creatures, and he was with God. God spoke with him and walked with him. That's that, the song in the garden. He walks with me, he talks with me in a way that none other has ever known. That's actually talking about Adam because God was walking with him in a way that none other have ever known except Jesus. And one day we ourselves will um, in even a, a greater way. But that God created the man and saw there was no helper fit for him. He says, not good that man should be alone. So that um, man was not ever meant to be a single creation that we were to have male and female and through that God would said um, go and uh, fill the earth but he didn't have to do it like that he could have just created as he did the angels just there's all the people or every now and then have people bob up I mean it's, God could have done anything he wanted to and he chose to create like this before the fall before there was sin in the world knowing full well that there would be sin in the world and therefore he had to put things in creation to for the future 
when there was a fall and a curse in the world that would point back to him, even to people who have rejected and despised him and suppressed the knowledge of God in their sin. And so God puts things in creation to point to him. And we call that general revelation. But in order to understand the gospel, in, under, in order to understand, well, what do I do with my brokenness? What do I do with my sin? What do I do with shame and guilt? And the world finds ways of dealing with this. But what God says through the Bible, special revelation, is my son Jesus Christ. I give my son Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for your sin so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So there's punishment for our sin and there's forgiveness for our sin so that when we go to God with our shame, with our burdens, with our sin, and we are able to repent, that we know we, can be, we have forgiveness because God has punished that sin in Jesus Christ on the cross and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us, longing for that so that when we sin, when we continue the sin, Jesus continues to go in there and say, you know, he's covered by my blood. And maybe even explains what's going on and how he's going to take care of all this and how this is all going to work. So that we have Jesus interceding. That means that he is actively at the Father's side applying salvation to our lives even as we sin so that's the good news and it's not just a forgiveness that we get it's transformation that we get it's also interesting that wherever you go in the world every continent every nation you find men and women joined together in marriage every culture because it's a creation ordinance. This is something God put in the world from the beginning, so it makes sense that this would um, continue to make its way out. It is, it's called common grace. It's one of the things that God has put in the world in order to, to be a preservative, preservative for the entire world. The rain falls on the righteous as well as the wicked. But in the United States and other parts of the world, there's a massive movement to destroy the institution of marriage actually a, a movement to destroy all institutions and there's reasons for that and even more recently the movement is to redefine marriage and thereby in the redefinition is its destruction so there's two questions one is why is marriage so important to God and then the second question is why does the world want to destroy it and the answer to that second question is answered by the first the world wants to destroy it because it matters so deeply to God. So why does it matter to God? Why does marriage matter to God? So first, the family, we can also refer to it as the household, is the first line of defense against the moral decay in the world. The family, first line of defense against the moral decay in the world. God instituted marriage before there was sin so that man would have a helper and so that children could have a balanced protection and training in the home so God has also instituted the state sometimes called the magistrate the government 
and it's for the protection of life in a fallen and cursed world. So the family is placed in a fallen and cursed world in order to help preserve it in the midst of all of this. And then God also institutes the state in order to help preserve the world in its fallen condition. To restrain evil and to promote good. In Romans 13, we're told that government authorities are established by God in order to serve him for good. They are to be a minister of God. Governments are supposed to serve God as ministers of good to restrain evil and to promote good. But the health of marriage is particularly important in a free society. So as much as we have a free society which is able to continue to, to live and to work and, and to go about and you know, it's a, you know, amazing how we're able to, to go out in, in relative safety. Um, that people aren't just constantly, I mean, people tend to, not so much in this county, but tend to obey traffic signals. They tend to, you know, all agree, okay, red light means stop, green means go, yellow means go faster. We all understand these things, and we all sort of abide by these things. And it's really remarkable that, that we do, that we're able to do these things. And it's because of the common grace of God that we don't just destroy each other um, quickly. But a free society depends on its institutions functioning properly, and it depends on its citizens um, to govern their private lives in a fairly disciplined way. It depends on parents to raise their children responsibly and to be responsible so as to limit the scope, size, and power of government. So, Somebody is going to control you. Somebody is going to discipline your children. And it's either going to be you, their friends, the government. Somebody is going to provide discipline. And it'll either be you or the world. And if we don't teach our children to be self-reliant, they will always be looking for another parent. And they can either find it in another person that they've fallen in love with, and they're getting some need provided that they didn't get from home, or they look to government to be their parent, provide for them, because they're always needing somebody to take care of them. So again, the state and other people who are seeking their own good will take advantage of things like this. And if our children are always looking for parents to take care of them, then the state will be more than happy to step in and fulfill that role, further making government stronger and families weaker. And the state cannot nurture and discipline for long. And we tend to think we know we'll end up with what's called totalitarianism, which means the government will just come in and control everything. But it's kind of interesting that that's not necessarily what we see happening, rather than having people who end up being afraid of the law, it looks like maybe we end up having the law afraid of the people. And then when that happens, it turns into chaos. And when that happens, people start to look for order. And in the midst of chaos, it takes a strong leader to provide order. And one will arise. And he will be a dictator. And he will be able to provide peace, he'll be able to provide protection, he'll be able to provide hope and security and it'll be at a cost, but they won't care because they've seen the cost of having chaos 
if families will function properly, we don't have to get there. I think part of the church's problem, too, is we tend to think if we can get government to function right, we won't get there. So what you're doing is you depend on government. That's not the institution that God put in the world for the salvation and the light of the world. The family is what God has established for this purpose. But not just any type of family, but families, indeed, they do not have to be even Christian families. There are good families that are not Christian families, but because of the common grace of God that God has put in the world, parents tend to care for their children and want what's best for their children. The problem becomes, how do we know as parents what's best for our children? And as the world begins to define good and evil, as the world begins to define these things, then families just want to do what's right. And where do they get their information from? Where do they decide? How do the families decide what's right and what's wrong? Particularly as any sort of religious impulse begins to be looked down upon and we look for our information from scientists or from government leaders and we fail to remember that these are all just people too. And where do they get their information from? And the gospel is the hope. Marriage matters to God because families are the first line of defense against the moral decay of the world. Secondly, marriage matters to God because it is an image of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God does not save souls from hell through the institution of the family. God does not save souls from hell through the institution of the state. God saves souls from hell by the sacrifice of his son on the cross in the place of sinners who would believe in his name by the Holy Spirit moving through people's lives and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So how are they to hear? And one of the things God has placed in creation is marriage as an image of the gospel. And that's why the world demands to shut out every remaining image of God in the world. This is, we'll look at things and go, how do, you know, we all have all these conspiracy theories. Well, how do all these people collude and get together and decide this stuff? It's ridiculous, they can't do that. And they can't. But our battle is not against flesh and blood, our battle is against superior, I mean, um, spiritual forces in the heavenly places and they control and they manipulate they can control and manipulate the believer imagine what they can do to the non-believer they're just at will until someone repents and sees the light and the holy spirit comes into their life we're, you're blinded by these things there's no way to know so as believers, we ought not be so blind. We have to be in the word of God. We have to be depending on Jesus Christ. We have to be following him. We have to listen to him. We have to, that's where we go for our, the center of all things has to be God in Jesus Christ as we see him in the Bible. And so as the image of God is what the demonic forces want destroyed in the world, that's why you see these attacks. 
So he gives us a marriage as an image of the gospel. So you can see why that is uh, under such great attack. And so we have to go to Ephesians 5 to see these things. So Ephesians chapter 5. I'm just going to start in verse 1 as this is a, a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus as he's telling them, you know, this is how you walk in love. This, this is how I want you to be. This is how Christian families, as an image of the Gospels we're going to see here, are to live in such a way that you are light in the world and you are salt in the world. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Now that's, you know, how? Because Jesus shows us what a human God would be like. So he's saying be like Jesus, who was God. So we're to be imitators of God. Now notice he doesn't just say be an imitator of Jesus. Because if he said that, you know, what would Jesus do? Then Jesus, the man, had a particular... um, mission here on earth our mission is the great commission he says be imitators of God so that in whatever station we find ourselves in whatever wherever we find ourselves there is a job for you there's a task for you there's a mission for you and if you're a parent that is a mission of yours if you're a husband there's a mission of yours if you're a wife there's a mission of yours if you're a child there's a mission of yours then you have to look out All right, now what else am I and then that is a mission. And you're to fulfill the Great Commission, making disciples, which means you had to be a disciple. In order to make disciples, you were a follower in all the different ways that you've been created. So be imitators of God as beloved children. And so you had to get, that's the big thing, okay? Understand that you are beloved children. Children? What? You know, you can go somewhere and there's a bunch of kids running around. And I don't necessarily know that I necessarily, I can promise you I do not love those kids as much as I love my kids. Sorry, especially when they're in a big old crowd and they're all misbehaving. So, beloved children. How am I supposed to understand children? It's like, what is it? It's just little kids. They're your children. You understand as a parent, if you have children, then you understand what it's like. And if you have parents, then you understand a little more what that's like too. And even if you go, I had bad parents. Well, how do you know you have bad parents? because you have some image of what good is supposed to be like. And so maybe you don't have children, but you understand what this is like. You get to see an image because God has placed us here. He wants us to know that this is all an analogy to, to how God loves us. So he says, be imitators of God, beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And that just means believers, um, holy ones, us. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, don't associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. 
and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now that's submitting to one another. And now he's going to go into what's called the household economics of how these things work out. The role of the wife, the role of the woman, the role of um, the children, and he even goes into the role of slaves and masters and these things. And it's um, different in the way we tend to think. It's not the chattel slavery, but it's you know, the economics of how um, things work. So we're just going to go through this part of the family. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Tell you what, that's under attack. That's even under attack by Christians because um, it just sounds terrible. Submit. Submission. And one of the reasons it sounds so bad is because men are sinners. Because a lot of husbands are abusive jerks. And I'm supposed to submit to that? It's like, well, if you're in that kind of a marriage then, you know, there's, there's a bunch of things that have gone wrong. But there's a bunch of things that have gone wrong in every marriage. Okay, so what we do is rather than looking for exceptions, rather than looking for the loopholes on how do I get out, what we're going to talk about is the proper marriage and how it should work. And there is a relationship within a marriage that God has ordered in such a way that we're to follow it. But not defined in the way the world would say. Worldly submission is different than godly submission. Worldly submission is can turn into something terrible. Godly submission is a beautiful thing done in the proper way. Wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So if a husband is asking you or telling you or making you do things that are opposed, opposed to his word, you can't follow your husband in that. What you do is um, as, as gently as godly as you're able, you have to let him know I can't disobey my Lord like this. It is better for you that I love my Lord and follow him because I will be a better wife in that. But our problem is, as humans are, we're always looking for a way to say, yeah, that's ungodly. So the woman is always a part of the curse. The wife tends to try to rule over the husband. So we have to watch that tendency too. But for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands all right so i think all this tends to do is make people think because i remember reading this in the early 90s to a group of high school students and one young lady in there was like i ain't never doing that i ain't getting married i ain't submitting nobody <laughs> i was like 
I feel your pain. I, I get where you're coming from. I, I know what you're saying. I, I understand what it's like. So it makes me think, what's your home life like? What, what was your father like? What was your mother like? What did you see? Where did you get this from? Are you just looking at the world from this? Where do you get this attitude of, I will not? And a part of it is because husbands, well, some of it's because women are sinners. The other part is because men are sinners. And so when you get a husband and a wife married to each other, that's an amazing thing that that thing works out. Because <laughs> you get two sinners trying to live together forever. And you're going to have problems. And if you don't have problems, that's a problem. <laughs> you're lying, okay? There's problems. But the husband has a role to play, too. So this is the husband's role. Love your wives. Stop it right there. And he goes on and explains it. Love your wives. So if you have a, a husband that's loving you and you're called to submit, it's like, that's cool. I can do that. You know, because my husband loves me like this. As Christ loved the church. That's the call for husbands. It is impossibly high. It is the goal to seek. Am I loving my wife like Christ loved the church? Look what he did. He gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up. Do husbands give up themselves for their wives? Because we might tend to think in our worldliness that headship means she gives up for me. And that's not what it says. I am the husband is men or husbands are to sacrifice themselves in many ways for the good of their wife that he might sanctify Christ does this to set us apart to 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 change us to be more like Christ and we're supposed to be trying to help our wives be more like Christ too having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that means the gospel should be in your in your home the the word of god should be in your marriage it should constantly be there looking for forgiveness, looking for repentance, looking to give grace, looking to give love in all these ways so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So the, the corollary to that is if you don't love your, your wife, you hate yourself. Another problem, a lot of people hate themselves. And they take it out on their wife because it makes them feel good to feel bad because we're all messed up. But as believers, that's not the way we're to be. So that what we do is, is we love the Lord and by doing so we love our wife and that's for our good. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Even a person that inflicts pain on themselves, a person that does damage to themselves, are doing it because it makes them feel better in some way. They're even doing it because it's selfish. That we are members of the body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this is the image of the family. 
But what you'll notice in Ephesians, it doesn't say this is a mystery, that this is um, an image of the family, or the gospel even. It's an image of the church. So marriage is a mystery, and that Greek word is mysterion, and it kind of means a little bit different than what we mean by a mystery. Uh, what the, a good definition that I found is the biblical mystery is the secret counsels of God, which are hidden from the ungodly and wicked men, but are plainly revealed to the godly. So it's something that maybe you wouldn't see unless God told you about it, and it's something profound, and it's about the gospel, and so it's a mystery that the family, marriage in particular, in verse 21, refers to Christ and the church. This is what he's teaching us. So I said that marriage is an image of the gospel, but indeed it's an image of the church. It's the mystery of marriage is in relation to Christ's relation to the church. So that's what we're imaging as a marriage. We're supposed to be showing before a watching world an image of what the gospel is to believers. It's the third institution of God on this planet, the family of God with Christ as the husband, the church as the bride, the only institution God has placed on earth for the salvation of souls and the growth and nurture of his family. This is the purpose of the church. So when you attack marriage, when marriage, when the world attacks marriage, they are attacking the church. And it is intentional. And the devil knows this. And therefore he moves the world always, always closer and closer to destroying the image of God wherever it can be seen on this planet. People are created in the likeness and image of God. Every single person, every from the moment of conception are image bearers of God, all people, and are therefore due dignity, respect, and love. And second, Christians, the church, are being transformed. So we're all image bearers too, but we're being transformed. Second Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Spirit. So we are being transformed into the image of Christ. We are not only created in the image of God, but we are being, as Christians, transformed into the image of Christ. And if you don't think that brings about the attacks of the enemies of God, then you're sadly mistaken. And then image bearers being transformed in the likeness of the image of Christ, being married and coming together in a marriage, which is a mystery, but it's talking about Christ and the church, then you know that is going to be under attack as well. So Satan and the world hates Christ and therefore the church and therefore Christians and therefore marriage. The demonic forces seek to destroy image bearers. Created male and female? No. We'll destroy that. And we see it. Marriage? No. We will destroy that. 
and we see it. Because ultimately, it's a design to destroy the church. And that's what Hebrews is about. The persecuted church is not an institution to be abandoned. It's the only hope for this world. It is the only ultimate threat against the rulers of this world. The agendas, the moral agendas of this world, the only thing that will soon stand in the way, and may be the only thing that stands in the way of accomplishing its purposes now, are Christians, is the church. And it will have to be dealt with. We will have to be dealt with. So we pray that the gospel goes out more and more so that we're too plentiful and we're everywhere so that the attempt to do that is seen as something that maybe they need to hold off on a little bit and keep trying to work around. But they've been working around the seams for a long time, and what Hebrews is about is about the internal rot that has happened inside the church. You do not abandon Christ, and these are the reasons why, because of his glory and his greatness and who he is and what he's done and what the gospel is and why you need him, why you're the best hope for the world. And Jesus Christ is seated right hand together, Father, praying, uh, intercessory prayers. He is a, a priest that is our high priest that sympathizes with our weaknesses and everything. So we have to be very careful that we don't just completely disengage from society and just watch it plunge into darkness because Hebrews says that we are not to have ourselves rotted and plunged into darkness, that we're to be followers of Christ and we're to live like it. Jesus died for you and he will build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We don't build up our gates and make sure nobody can get in. We go against the churches on the offense with the gospel to bring people into the heavenly city, the kingdom of God. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden unless we hide our light, unless we try to dim it and we can have our candlestick taken away if we do that as the book of Revelation has told us and then the last part of Hebrews 13 there's, there's more warnings from Hebrews it says let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous and we're told it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. So what Hebrews is saying is don't let the culture of the world seep in. The world is a, a, attacking us from the outside. Don't rot on the inside. You don't have to be married. But you can't live like you're married with somebody if you're not married to them any more than you can be married to somebody and live like you're not. One is fornication and the other is adultery. And God says he will judge both. So we're to trust God with our obedience. And we have righteousness as spiritual armor. And we bring dishonor on the church and on Christ when we sin in these ways. And so therefore, make sure you're hidden in Christ. Cling to him. Cling to the gospel. Trust him with your obedience. We have to work on our marriages. And if you're not married, then live like one day you will be and don't cheat on your future spouse. Trust God with your celibacy. Trust God with your singleness. Treat singleness, the Bible says, as a gift. 
And so it's called the gift of singleness. And I've heard some people say, I don't want that gift. Why do I get that gift? It's like, no, 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 that's not what it means. It means while you're single, see it as a gift. Use it as you have the ability to be freer to do things for the Lord. You have the ability to go off and, 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 and be a missionary. You have a, an ability to, to do, you have more freedom than you would if you were married. He's not saying marriage is bad at all, but what he's saying is neither is singleness. Singleness is a blessing too. It's where God has you. And there's nothing wrong with praying for um, a godly spouse, but you have to be careful with that needy stuff. If I need, then Satan will come along and provide somebody that looks really good. But we have to make sure that before somebody gets to your heart, they have to go through Christ. So we're told in the Bible only to marry in the Lord. Because marriage is good. It's not to be forced on anybody, certainly, but it's also not to be t denied to, like, priest and things like that. That was wrong. And there's so much more about marriage in the Bible. You only marry in the Lord. Um, different things like this. I, mean, I had two, two aunts, and they called themselves my two old maid aunts. And um, Annie, Sue, and Lila, but they were my aunts, so it was Aunt Sue and Lila. I always referred to them as a group. Um, it was, they were never apart from one. And they lived together, and they were, they, were, they, um, they were two of the most godly women, two of the most godly people I've ever known. Loved, they, were all, they always seemed old to me when I was little. And I would go over there and we would you know, talk. And one of the things that, and they, they just made you feel important. They said, pray for, I know God has a special plan for your life. And this was before you know, the whole Joe Osteen stuff. They meant it, you know. And they were praying for you. And they were talking to you. want to know about your life and all these things. And they were just really two wonderful ladies. And one of the things they said was that, um, and I've told people this before. They, they said they didn't want any male pallbearers when they died. Because no man would take them out while they're alive, and they're not going to take them out after they're dead. <laughs> so I told that at their funeral, which they did have male pallbearers, but they had a sense of humor, so they were fine with it. But marriage is hard. It's going to be hard. It's to be till death do us part. Two Christians being transformed into the image of Christ is amazing. Uh, there are reasons to allow divorce. Uh, God. Jesus said God hates divorce, and rightly so, because it's an attack on the image of, of Christ and the gospel, and if it wasn't for sin, there wouldn't be any, but it doesn't mean that there aren't times when um, it's allowed, and that ends up being what, what happens, and, but that's another sermon, too, but God um, heals, God forgives, God has grace, and we're always, even if we had ungodly divorces, God's able to take you from where you are and move you straight ahead into a, a good place, and so... Um, just make sure that if you're, to understand, I, I think one of the things is recognize the fact that um, your marriage is not primarily about your happiness. Because if you get to the point where you depend on your wife or you depend on your husband for your happiness, then you're not looking at it right. You know, too many people say, God just wants me to be happy. I'm not happy. I'm going to leave. <laughs> no, God wants you to be holy. God wants you to work through this. God wants you to be able to be godly in your marriage. God wants these things. And like I said, there are reasons that God allows for divorce that we don't have time to, to get into these things because the main thing I want us to think about is the good use of marriage and the necessity of godly marriages where the writer of Hebrews is saying, I need you to honor, you need to honor marriage because it's one of the ways you're going to survive the turmoil and it's one of the ways you're going to be a witness in the world. The world is condemned, as is evident,
but we are called to love our neighbors, whether they're married, single, gay, straight, black, white, Republican, Democrat, we are to love them. We are to have the light of Jesus shine brightly through us, the light of the gospel shining in our marriages. The darker the world gets, the brighter it will shine, the more of a target you'll become, but the more of a light you'll be to those who are seeking Christ, who God is seeking. So we have to always be pointing to Christ in every area of our lives. But if we deny him in this area of our lives, we deny him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, for marriage, for godly marriages. We thank you that we've seen marriages that, that um, seem at the end and you heal, heal them. We thank you for people who've been through um, terrible trials and terrible outcomes of marriages and divorce and things like this. And, and you see them through it. And you, you still say there's hope and there's love and there's forgiveness and there's future and there's grace and mercy and kindness, Lord. So we thank you that no matter how badly we mess things up, you're, you're, there's always a, a right way forward. So we pray that everyone in here would seek that right way. We pray that where people see in their relationships um, something that's not being provided, I pray that they would find that provision first in you and then seek how they might be um, more of a blessing to those around them too. Help us to find our comfort in you, our strength in you, our hope in you, and help us all to be um, more Christ-like in all of our relationships. And this we pray in your holy name. Amen.